Welcome to the Aftershock podcast. We chat about cancer, the word you never want to hear. I truly believe that, you know, this is what I was meant to be doing in life, helping and supporting children to continue as much of a normal life as they can. The Aftershock podcast speaks to a variety of people that have experienced the ripple effect of a cancer diagnosis. Join us as we explore stories of lost loved ones and speak to those who have had lived experience with the disease. I'm Susie Neat, and this is the Aftershock Podcast. A child being diagnosed with cancer is a beyond devastating and disrupting time in their lives. It's not just the patient, but their parents who are overwhelmed with information and meeting various staff throughout the hospital. Thankfully, people like Susie exist. In this episode of the Aftershock Podcast, I speak to Susie Aleph, who is a teacher in the Cancer Centre at the Monash Children's Hospital in Melbourne. I didn't know this role existed and was so excited to chat to Susie about the role she plays in a cancer patient's life. So my role is that I am a teacher at a hospital school um, and I have done that for full time for the last three years or so um, based in the Children's Cancer Centre. And prior to that, I was a casual at the hospital, which meant that I worked in all areas. But um, yeah, like I said, have been in the Children's Cancer Centre for a number of years now. Did you start teaching in a, in a regular school? Yeah, so originally um, I've had experience in a mainstream um, primary school where, yeah, I was probably there for about five years, then did the London thing, did a bit of teaching there, then came back for a few years just to return to my previous school and then um, seeked and found this opportunity, which to me was um, my dream job that I had been thinking about for a long time actually, um, but never yeah, really um, fully seizing the opportunity to um, work in a hospital school. But um, it was, yeah, just timing and um, I, I was able to land the job, which I'm, yeah, really happy about. And, um, yeah. How did you hear about it? Um, so broadly speaking, I first found out about hospital schools when I was studying at university. Um, I attended a bit like a conference or convention day where lots of educators spoke about all things teaching and learning and there was a hospital school teacher talking about her role and what it involves and from there I thought oh wow I can't believe something like this exists but how great that it does. So then when I was looking um, into how to get a job in a hospital school it was um, uh, jobs would have that you needed a minimum of say four years experience and I was fresh out so I knew I couldn't quite get there yet um, and at the time uh, I wondered why you needed a few years experience because I really did have the passion and wanted to be in a hospital school but now in hindsight I understand why um, I think you definitely need a few years up your sleeve and a bank of um, you know education activities and you need to know how to connect with students and children um, quite quickly. So uh, I, I do feel that my experiences leading up to landing this job has definitely, um, I don't regret that. I, I loved that I had, yeah, some mainstream primary school time beforehand. Um, yeah, and then 
finding out about the school that I'm at now was just through a friend who said, oh, this school needs casual teachers. And yeah, that's why I started off as a casual. Yeah. So when you got your first role and you joined the hospital, I imagine that was, you know, just such a confronting experience as well, actually seeing the patients being, sorry, the students being cancer patients. Did Mm -hmm. it sort of meet your expectations or did you feel quite different once you were actually in the role? Um, Yeah, you're right. Definitely very confronting because, um, you know, coming from a mainstream school and your students are generally very quite well, um, I think uh, you do sort of meet their students in the hospital and their families and you make these connections and as you know as I've worked across the years you know kind of what they're you know up for with treatment and how that'll take its toll and you might meet them at the start and um you know they're quite bubbly or they're they're quite pleased to meet you and then um it really does hit them hard and then that carries on to you. It hits you hard that um, you want to, you know, help and support them in any way, but it's it's um, can be a long road for them. Um, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And talk us through the, the actual process. At what point are you introduced to a cancer patient and their family? Okay, yeah, that can be, that's, quite individual so um, sometimes families who um, have found out that there's a hospital school um, they're quite keen to meet us so there might be a referral coming through um, where we're introduced to them sometimes it could be because maybe their son or daughter or um, yeah their child is in VCE and they might be really stressed about what VCE looks like for um, you know the final years of schooling for their child sometimes it's the other end where um, maybe their child is starting prep and they're really worried um, about how that first year of school will look like because they've had this news come through so um, it can be it's yeah usually pretty early on um, once they've obviously um, processed the big information coming from doctors and nurses about what um you know, their future will look like because, um, yeah, it's heavy news, obviously, to receive a cancer diagnosis. And, yeah, these families probably weren't, you know, thinking that that was in the cards for their child. Um, so, yeah, we, we come along pretty early on. And I imagine you have to develop such a close relationship with the parents as well as the as the patient student um, to be able to know how they're feeling that day, um, obviously managing so many different emotions, um, some really positive and obviously some really, um, really tough days as well. How do you, how do you go and make that adaptation from, you know, really focusing on a student in a regular classroom to then really being able to, do you have to really read the situation quite differently and read how the parents are that day? Yeah, so every day uh, or most days we have handover meetings and they're with doctors and nurses and they've updated us and told us about um, the patient's, you know, last 24 hours and how they're feeling. Um, So that's a good indicator uh, first and foremost of, you know, do we even say good morning to them that day or do we just leave them and it's a bit of a, a 
rest day for them. Um, if we know that they're feeling pretty good um, in spirits and would like a school session, um, you know, we we uh, say good morning. You know, how's it going? What time do you think you would like school today? A lot of like a lot of them prefer the afternoon. Um, some like to just have a, a half an hour or one hour session in the morning. Um, and yeah, in terms of reading the the mood and behaviours, um, we're guided by uh, the parent as well, um, who can inform us. And of course, the student. It always um, does come down to how they're feeling. We have a bit of a um, our principal introduced us to kind of like a mantra that I I really like and um, stick to. But we say that um, let the uniqueness of the child or each child guide our work so um it's really there at the at the forefront of what we do and um we consider everything um coming from them first so what's the structure like you just mentioned there's a there's a principal who else is at the the teach the the teaching part of the hospital uh, so it is a Department of Education school. So it runs um, and follows um, a principal and leadership team. Um, we've got yeah teachers working in uh, various areas, whether that be in adolescent mental health or uh, there's teachers focusing on in the general medicine area. Um, yeah, we all have found our place and... Um, like like to hear about what each other are doing in the hospital and help each other out where we can. So sometimes there is um, an overlap of, um, you know, oh, I don't have a student to teach at this time, but I've got two that want teaching, so I might jump in. But generally we stick to our, our section if we can. Yeah, and I imagine um, patients and parents need some consistency as well around who they're interacting with. Yeah, yep, that consistency is really probably, yeah, quite vital in my section of the hospital because we also uh, liaise heavily with a student's, we call it their base school, so the school that they are currently enrolled in. And so, you know, we're emailing and phone calling these schools and it's important that it's a key contact um, being, you know, one or two of the main teachers in the Children's Cancer Centre that they're um talking with and communicating with um, we share how to structure learning what subjects to focus on um, if there's major assessments that need to be completed um, we can arrange that we're also quite an advocate for the student um, so if major assessments are just not um, appropriate at that time or we need to help them with special considerations or derived exam scores. Um, yeah, we'll work to get the paperwork and support in place for that. Um, we've had students actually sit exams at the hospital because we've got trained supervisors. So that is um, comforting to uh, some students where they just want to, you know, be in um, a, a smaller space, I suppose, as well, um, compared to going back to their big schools to completing exams. But there's a, a lot of um, consideration that takes place to to ensure whether or not doing the exams at our hospital school is the right place or not. So, yeah, that's, that's also a really good option we have. I imagine pa patients 
and family members get introduced to so many different people. Obviously, they've got the doctors and nurses and the, the typical medical staff that everyone knows, but then there's occupational therapists and physios and dietitians and other roles that don't necessarily have an obvious, that people just know about. Um, do you find you're involved in helping at all, and this might not be a role, but educating the family on who's involved in the process? Um, yeah, so we're, uh, I guess the hospital staff, um, you know, the allied health team, the doctors and nurses, all the um, professionals you've just mentioned, I, I feel that they are really good in um, explaining themselves, but um, there, there might be time where um, a family doesn't quite know what um, a particular person does. So, yeah, we can help explain. Um, I guess ours is in a way self-explanatory, although um, it's interesting because some families and some kids just had have no idea that, you know, you could complete school while being in hospital. So that comes with, um, I guess, some mixed responses. Um, um, jump at the thought, um, you know, there might be some junior kids who are quite keen to uh, establish relationships and continue their learning to feel, you know, like they're not missing out. Um, then there's some perhaps adolescent um, teenagers who may think, oh, what, you know, we thought we could evade school. What are you talking about? <laughs> what is your relationship like with the nurses and the doctors? And I know you mentioned a handover before, but how, how closely do you work with them? Uh, very closely. We... Um, yeah, as you said, we and I said we have daily handovers. Um, we can share office spaces, so we're, you know, always talking and thinking about maybe the same patients. And I, for example, would go to the social worker and ask, um, you know, oh, you saw so and so today. Like we were talking about before, how's their mood? Do you think it's um, worth me trying to offer them a school session? And yeah, they might say, yeah, they're in, they're in a great mood, or oh no, they've had, um, you know, some bad news, or they've had a rough night. Um, perhaps leave it for today. So, um, yeah, we work as a multidisciplinary team, um, all caring for the same families and patients. Um, very, yeah, very closely. And yeah, the doctors, they're amazing response, responding to us, responding to emails um, when we just need a bit more information as well. Do you ever find yourself, your role moving beyond a teacher in that you're listening to um, patients and their parents? Um, I don't know if venting is the right word or just, just mm -hmm. sort of trying to, trying to talk to you beyond your role as a teacher? Yeah. Um, I, yeah, definitely. That has happened um, from time to time, I guess. Um, I take it as, you know, a bit of a compliment that they feel comfortable in wanting to um, share or, or vent, like you said. Um, when it gets sort of crosses over into a bit of heavy conversation, um, that's when I know that I need to be uh, I guess, delegating or referring to um, we've got cancer centre psychologists, um, you know, having them get involved or so it, I would listen to a certain extent. And then when it is beyond my role and realm of expertise, um, it's definitely 
um, worth mentioning to other professionals that can handle and, and hopefully help um, these parents and families and students. Uh, it's no surprise that you get a range of students in a regular classroom in terms of behavioural uh, issues. Um, do you do you find that it's similar in, in the hospital? You'll get patients who... Um, and that can be for from medication, but do you yeah. do you find that quite challenging when you've had to sort of discipline from a behavioural point of view? Yes, yeah, so I guess uh, it's constant talking with um, all the other allied health um, team members as well um, with how to manage a, a student and their behaviours and their mood. And like you said, medication can play a big part in it. Um, so you know, you might or I might meet a student um, originally and they're quite keen with school and then um, on a particular day they're just or declining for, you know, three days in a row and then it's like, oh, is that's quite a concern. You know, do we um, stop doing school? Do we come at it from another angle? Do we, um, yeah, modify their learning program to suit what, we think that they're up to at the time. Um, we also uh, understand that the parents or the guardians need a little bit of a break too. Um, when they're in hospital, they spend so much time with their child. And so, you know, if we've got a patient who is constantly declining and, um, you know, the parent or guardian can't really catch a break because they're also juggling um, possibly other children and their families and even still their jobs. Um, so it's really important that we try to get to the crux of um, why they're, you know, feeling a bit low and how we can re-engage them. Um, yeah. Mm. Yeah, you mentioned how it's important for, for parents to have a break. Um do you have any specific examples of where, where you've seen that? A few years ago, I was working with a lovely prep boy. And in some ways, I think um, uh, you meet children who are quite beyond their years. They they grow up quite quickly. Um, you know, you find them knowing the names of their chemotherapy and their medication. And it's it's really like it's a, it's a wow kind of moment it's oh, I almost sometimes think you shouldn't know these things but you know, being in the hospital they do and um anyway this particular boy um very quite in tune with himself and but he would just have um some screaming matches um, and I would soldier on because I could see that his mom just needed you know the half an hour the 40 minutes that I was going to be in there um, she needed that for herself. She had other, you know, another child. She has a husband. Um, she was still working. Like I said, uh, it's yeah, it's really important that the families can also try to have a little bit of a break because the days, you know, they can be long. And so we want to make sure our service is is also helping them as much as as their child. Some of your patients, uh, whether they're diagnosed originally with probably a poor survival outcome or things can change um, as they mm. do, how do you cope with that? When you Have you seen um, one of your students pass away or get um, dramatically sick? Yes, yes, unfortunately um, I have. And I guess I was probably pretty naive thinking that um, that 
won't happen or that doesn't happen and um you know everyone has great outcomes but um it's it's not to be unfortunately um and when that does happen uh we are really fortunate to have excellent support at the school in um, our principal assistant principal the leadership team we have access to people such as the palliative care team we do um, supervision and debriefs um, you know we're human we're allowed to cry at work um, obviously um, you know we pull it together and we also know that we can we we soldier on as well um but in those times we definitely lean on each other we're a really good staff um that yeah bounce off each other lean on each other um pump each other up when we need it and uh, i guess that's yeah that's how i get through i also um remind myself that we did make a difference to that that child or that student um you know you you reflect on and you have a little giggle about some happy moments that um, took place. Um, so yeah, a lot of a lot of reflection, I guess, helps us to get through as well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Do you find yourself, um, because of the nature of your role and and why they're in the hospital, getting closer to a student than you would in a regular classroom outside the hospital? Yeah, I guess. Um, because one of the major differences between what I've come from and what I am in now is that, um, you know, mainstream school, you might have 25 students that you know for that year. This this hospital school, I have um, a number of students that I could know on a short-term or long-term basis. It could be that um, students from start to finish have a three-year treatment plan. So you really do watch them grow up and connect with them um across across their journey um i had yeah a, a boy that i met who we connected quite quickly um with having the same football team and then um he was in grade five and six and i've seen him um enter year seven and uh, that's been really nice um I, I remember doing some maths with him where we this was actually not last year where we both go for Melbourne so it wasn't the grand final year but it was the year before that and we were able to do some data and graphing with um you know how many goals Melbourne kicked um across the season and it was just a really yeah it was a really nice way to make his learning meaningful um and purposeful to him um so yeah we connect pretty quickly uh, we have to because uh, these, you know, these students and the, some young children, they're scared. They, you know, they don't know what um, is about to become their, you know, the next few months or, or years of their life. But um, we we make these quick and strong connections, which I feel really fortunate to be able to have be that light um, in some of their, yeah, dark days. And how important is it for them to... For, for you to try and get their mind outside of the hospital. Um, obviously, you're in a hospital setting and hospitals are confronting at the best of times. So do you find it's really important for your time with them to try and get them to think of something other than being a cancer patient? Yes, yes, most definitely. Um, and I think um, the the young kids, I don't want to generalise, but the young kids are quite great in um you know grasping and taking us up on school lessons they i think they're easily um 
able to, um, not I don't want to say trick, but just to take their mind off um, that they're in the hospital. Yeah, yeah, exactly, distract. Um, sort of working with some adolescents, you know, they're maybe more in tune of what's um, where they are and so that can be a little bit tricky. But then having said that, we also have some really focused um, high school students that also just want to, um, you know, knock out their work. They know what they have to do. They've got um, things from their base school. They've got their, I think during COVID, there was a lot of online learning topics and subjects and um, exercises that were put up online. So they, they wanted to get through them, which was really excellent for shifting um, their mindset of where they were. And the dreaded topic of COVID, how did that change your area of work? Obviously, it saw a lot of well, schools being closed and turned into complete remote working. How did it impact your role? Yeah, we navigated that quite interestingly because obviously it was all new for everyone, you know, um, teachers all around the state, the country. Um, in a way, upon reflection, sometimes we felt that online learning get like finally or eventually catered for our students um, whereas if online learning didn't happen we would be liaising with the school to try and get the work but when there were these lockdowns we would give a student a laptop or a device if they didn't have one in the hospital and they were able to keep up with their peers and um, be emailing their their base school teachers you know their math teachers their science teachers so it had um, a little bit of a silver lining in a way. So um, were you and, able to teach in the hospital or you had to go remote with them? Oh, sorry, yeah. So we um, were able to teach in the hospital some of the time. Um, I know there was multiple lockdowns and um, getting different hospital uh, advice um, accordingly. So uh, in that first COVID lockdown year, a lot of work from home time where we would schedule Zoom uh, learning calls with students who may have found their base school learning a bit tricky. So, for example, I had um, uh, some prep students who would uh, say, I think they were on about three sessions or sometimes even five sessions a week with me and um, their school website was a bit hard for them to navigate individually and they wanted that live um teacher student te uh, teaching and learning so uh, that was really fun I would interpret what their school curriculum had set for them and then I so for example it could have been reading a story and then them having to um, summarize the story or do a story map and they would do that in front of me and hold their work up to the camera and um, yeah that was it was um, a, a fun way of of learning for some. <laughs> was it maybe even harder for, for parents having that one less point of contact at the hospital when you weren't in as much or maybe less of a break or an added stress about making sure they were keeping up with online learning or anything like that? Yeah, I guess, um, like I said, because, yeah, it did change, you know, sometimes we were in the hospital, sometimes there were work from home days. So long as we had um, communication with the families and you know the, sometimes even the students email of do you know do they need a lesson this week are they okay with their base school curriculum can we be um, the lifesaver here and help them to interpret what they need to do um, 
Yeah, I, I think all in all, um, online learning in the hospital um, generally worked quite well. But um, yeah, I, I, it's it's hard to it's hard to even sort of say um, now. Like I know our, some of the children are affected with being told that um, you know they now that schools are back. Um, some of the doctor's advice is please don't go back for this term let's just see how things are it's yeah I really I do feel for the the students that we work with um with yeah just them wanting to possibly get back to school and being told that oh they still have to wait um yeah, yeah. absolutely teachers need specific qualities um usually like patience um and <laughs> things like that do you find in this teaching role at a hospital there's a different set of qualities that you really need to possess to be able to do the role effectively uh yes i think um some could overlap some teacher qualities from mainstream other schools and hospital schools um like you said, definitely patience, um, resilience, but also knowing, like I mentioned, that we are human and there will be things that affect us. Um, but yeah, the, the empathy side, um, I think um, just being able to, I think one of the main qualities um, that we've already touched on as well, but just having um, the, yeah, the, you really do need to establish connections quite quickly. You need to gain the trust of um, students and families, parents and guardians, quite quickly. Um, you, yeah, you need to have excellent communication skills because you are talking with so many hospital staff, so many um, school staff, wellbeing team from um, the child's school, principals from the child's school, their class teachers. Um, so. Yeah, uh, an overlap in skills, but probably just ramp it up a notch. You need to have have them. Do you have a most memorable patient or student? Uh, oh, there's so many. I think in this job, the irony that I um, reflect on is that I'm a teacher and I'm teaching them and they're a learner, but really I learn so much from a five-year-old, a 15-year-old, um, they demonstrate incredible resilience. Um, you know, just they're absolute troopers. Um, we hear about how they could be in handovers and we still show up and some of them never decline um, a school session and you just think, wow, like I, you know, might be sick with a sniffle and um, I, I would, you know, back when I was at school, I'd want the day off and here they are just giving it their all and soldiering on and it's it's really admirable. I think, um, yeah, to answer your question with a memorable student, they just, they're also individual but a lot of them bundle up as just being incredible. Like I, yeah, I find myself just thinking about them after the day has um, finished and just, yeah, just think, wow, like, you know, there's, um, I worked with an interstate student actually and she came um, to Victoria for treatment um, at our hospital school and she was incredibly dedicated um, 
to her. She was such a good math student um, and really worried about going back to school um, in her state. And um, we another part of our role is we make sure that they're set up with uh, resources such as uh, some online tutoring or, or free, sorry, free tutoring um, through the Ronald McDonald Learning Program. So uh, we can make referrals and we can help them. Um, sometimes parents are quite uh, concerned about how their student or their child will return to school, but we're heavily involved with a return to school process. Um, so we can help them out with that. Um, yeah, there's there's just so many, so many students to think about and Oh, I think that's, it's such a good point that when a big life event happens, the things you, your life before you realize what you take for granted Um, and going to school may seem like a burden for a lot of people, but it really is such a special thing. Um, You know, you get to hang out with your friends all day and um, yes, there are definitely some tough components, but you would take that any day of the week than being in a hospital bed. So I think it's, it's, it's incredible perspective. Um, and to to hear that kids are kids are excited and eager and they're teaching you something I think is is really special for sure um, and I think um, you know a, a, a good part of why I do what I do is education is so empowering I think it is yeah it empowers um, people so much and um, you know regardless of a health condition, every child deserves access to an incredible school, incredible teachers, incredible opportunities um, so that they can continue to reach their potential um, and not be defined by their health condition. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a really big advocate for um, hospital schools. I'm, I'm, so, I'm so happy and glad that they exist. Oh, absolutely. It just really makes me think, what can we do for adults who um, have, have passed school but who spend a, a really long time in hospital? And I'm sure there are a couple of things out there. Um, I don't know. I think about my mum who spent a long time in hospital and I'm like, gee, what can we do to, you know, get their mind, like a, 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 you know, a formal program where we can keep their mind stimulated and take their mind off being in a hospital for a long period of time? I think that would be pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I'm not sure, like, when when your mum was in hospital, were there great services to... No, not at all. <laughs> no, it's, yeah, there's a really big gap there that I think should be filled. I mean, it might exist and we weren't spoken to about it or didn't see it yeah. at the particular hospital, but um, I, I'd love to investigate that further, actually. Yeah, just to, yeah. Even sure. things like you think of a children's hospital how special it is in terms of uh meerkat enclosures and artwork and um yeah. special guests and athletes coming in and it's so beautiful yeah. for that for the for the kids it's so special um but there's none of that for adults and i just mm-hmm. think it's yeah. such a and i understand you know no one absolutely wants to see a child sick um but i can tell you it's pretty bloody hard seeing an adult sick as well um yeah, I'd love to love to investigate that further. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You've recently, am I correct in saying, had a baby? Yes. Is that first time, you're a first-time mum? Yes, yes, first-time mum. <laughs> Has it changed or uh, 
changed the way you look at the world or look at your your job or seeing children in in hospital yes <laughs> don't get me oh, sorry <laughs> um we don't have to talk about that if you don't want to no that's okay um yeah, I just, I have a huge heart for children and I truly believe that, you know, this is what I was meant to be doing in life, helping and supporting children um, to continue as much of a normal life as they can. Um, and now that I've had a child, um, yeah, it puts a lot into perspective. Um, it, it, we... At the school, I work with school-aged children, but um, it doesn't mean that I don't see infants with cancer and, you know, you just think how cruel can the world be. But, um, yeah, they're, uh, you know, in in the right place getting treatment and, and hopefully their outcomes are positive. Um, Absolutely. And luckily, I mean, we, a country like Australia, we're, we're so well-resourced. Um, there's more to a lot more work to do but um you're right about you know the kid the, the infant the baby the child is exactly where it, it's cruel but they're where they need to be yeah, yeah. and we have people yeah. like yourself um helping them um which is pretty special thank you thank you for all that you do in um founding the aftershock and i know that obviously came out of a place of yeah immense grief and um things for you but it's uh, amazing that um, you've put your grief into something so positive to um, spread awareness of high mortality cancers and um, yeah all the events that you you arrange a huge thank you to Susie for not only joining us on the podcast but for all the incredible work she and her colleagues do for cancer patients and their families it is every parent's worst nightmare to have their child in the cancer center of a hospital However, it is amazing to know there are teachers to help continue their education and to try and get them to focus on something other than cancer. Until next time, I'm Susie Neat, and this has been the Aftershock Podcast.